I think Satan's main goal and shame is to silence us. In James, he talks about confessing your sins to one another. And I believe that's not just for accountability, but for healing too. I think when we open up about where we have been or where we are, a lot of healing can take place. When we hold out our brokenness to other believers, it gives us a chance to help others and heal ourselves. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And if you did not listen to last week's episode, I will fill you in for today. (laughs) We are doing a series on overcoming your past and dealing with shame. This summer, we did a survey to all of you, our listeners, and one of the main topics that you wanted to hear was on overcoming your past. And so God has so graciously given us several stories on this topic that we are doing a series. I think for the first time ever, we're doing a series. Yes, for sure. And so today we actually have a storyteller that was brought to us by one of our Patreon members. (laughs) It's someone who has supported us for a while and she recommended Tyndall as a storyteller and we reached out and got to know her and wow, her story fit right into this on overcoming your past and shame. I know, Robin, I just love it when our Patreon members actively engage with us and kind of tell us what's going on in their community. Yes. And um, and of course, Tyndall's story fits right along with our series that we're doing. Last week, you heard a story from a 20-something. This week, it's a 30-something-year-old. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that Tyndall really gives us is just the power that is found when you break the silence of shame and you share what you've been through. That's right, Katie. And I'm so excited for our listeners to hear Tyndall's story. And before that, we do want to remind you that our Bible study, When God Shows Up, Stories of Freedom, there are actually two stories in the Bible study that deal with overcoming shame in your past. And so we're excited about how our Bible study links to this series that we're doing. And as you're thinking about Bible studies for 2023, maybe planning some small groups, if you're a member of a church or possibly in women's ministry, think about launching this in your local church. It is a great Bible study for all ages. And I would say all levels of faith, no matter if you're a a first time early believer, or you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, go to storytellerslive.org and order When God Shows Up Stories of Freedom today. Here's Tyndall. Hi, my name is Tyndall Baldwin, and I'm honored to be here sharing a little bit of my story with you guys. I have been happily married for 13 years. My husband and I live outside of Atlanta and have four kids ranging from nine to three. So we are tired, but also in some really sweet years. Um, 10 years ago, I published my first book called Popular, um, where I shared my story in depth for high school girls to see um, the dark side of sin, but also the magnificent grace of God. So stories are really like near and dear to my heart. (laughs) I think they're powerful. And I just love what Storytellers is doing. So I'm just honored to be sharing with you guys. Um, My prayer is always when I share my story with anyone, that whether you see yourself um, in the rebellion or the redemption, you would feel God whisper just how deeply he loves you, no matter where you are. So I was born and raised just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. My mom was also um, brave enough or crazy enough, depending on who you ask, to have four kids. And I am the third of four. I have three brothers. People always tend to feel like kind of bad for me when I say that I had three brothers but I didn't have to share my dad or my closet with any sisters. So um, it was a pretty magical upbringing. Did, however, share a small bathroom with all three of my brothers for 17 years, including the puberty years. So I think that might've been the most character building part of my childhood. Honestly, though, my family was really close and we were one of those weird families that um, really enjoyed each other. We had family vacations full of laughter and 
weeknights we would pile on my parents' bed and just talk. Um, my dad brought a lot of fun to our house. He was always had this, um, still has this like zest for life. Um, if you do the Enneagram, he's a seven, which sums it up. My mom is an incredible homemaker and peace bringer. And uh, she sacrificed most of her life so that we could all have a worry-free childhood. Um, my dad started his own company when I was in elementary school. So while we didn't always have a lot in the early years, we had what we needed. And my parents really taught me the value of people over experiences. Um, early on, church was a big part of our family. My parents taught Sunday school. My brothers were in choir and youth group. And I, you know, just kind of tagged along for everything. Um, around fourth grade, my parents started noticing I was unable to really thrive in public school. Um, I had been diagnosed with ADHD. And by the end of fourth grade, my teacher had just put my desk in the corner in a desperate attempt to get me to stop distracting the whole class. Um, that didn't work, though. So my parents decided to send me to a small private Christian school um, where my oldest brother had gone, who also had ADHD. Um, this was the first time I really wanted to fit in. I didn't want to have some learning disability that made me stick out. I just really wanted to be accepted. I am also extremely extroverted, um, love making friends, love being around people. And so small Christian private school was great for my learning, um, but I quickly became kind of bored with just how small it was. So my parents sent me back to public school, late middle school. And middle school really taught me two things. One, that a lot of girls thought my older brothers were very cute. And two, that my Christian life wasn't going to give me the practical things I wanted in middle school. I um, looked at God a lot like Santa Claus at this point in my faith, and it had really worked so far. Um, church had given me like some community and friends, but now I wanted popularity and a boyfriend and um, church wasn't giving me that. Faith had felt really like inherited. It wasn't a heart decision, but just something kind of passed down through my family, like having brown hair. Um, so by high school, I was really ready to abandon the whole thing. It's kind of easy to walk away from something that's never really yours. So high school, I kind of had this identity crisis where I had to figure out who I was outside my family. My brothers are all, um, were all very outspoken in their faith during high school. Taylor, who's just two years older than me, was quarterback of the football team, homecoming king, ended up marrying his high school girlfriend, who was the homecoming queen, um, and just like all around great guy. Christian had left high school with a similar legacy, and he didn't play football, but he was an incredible musician um, and still is today. Brett was a few years behind me at this point, um, but already had a solid group of friends and a, also a blooming guitar talent that would just keep getting better. So like I said, my parents taught Sunday school. My family was very well known for being outspoken believers. And um, I loved my family and I really admired my brothers, but I also kind of thought I just couldn't live up to the standard. I was very much just the average middle kid. Um, I wasn't stellar at sports. Like I said, ADHD had made school hard. And I thought if I felt loved and accepted by the popular crowd, I might felt like, feel like I have a place to belong. Um, so freshman year, I actually wrote a goodbye letter to God. Um, and told him I wouldn't be needing his services anymore. And I was going to chase after the popular lifestyle that really looked so appealing to me. It was very easy to convince some girls I knew to invite me to a party because having a um, quote unquote Stanfill drink, which was my maiden name, would be a big deal given my brother's reputation. So the first party I went to, I was 15 and everybody was so eager to give me alcohol that I ended up getting alcohol poisoning and barely made it home. Uh, you think that introduction into the world of drinking and drugs would push me in another direction, but it didn't. Like I said, I was really extroverted. I made friends quickly and I kind of entered the party crowd and hit the ground running. My parents caught me drinking, found my stash of vodka, thanks to a friend from church. So I decided I was done with church. I wasn't going to go back. Um, like any good parent, their first response was to lean in and try to get to the root of why I was struggling. I didn't see it as struggling, though. I saw it as living my best life. 
I told them they were overreacting. And just because my saintly brothers didn't drink, didn't mean it wasn't totally normal. You know, the sales pitch of every high schooler everywhere. They were wise enough not to buy it and tried really hard freshman year to get me back on track. Um, one thing my dad did was he took me to father daughter camp in the hopes of connecting and getting out of Atlanta would just do some good for me. It was um, at this beautiful ranch in California called JH Ranch. And I still have very vivid memories of our time together. My dad was so good about choosing to focus on our relationship, not my behavior. So he didn't push or pry the whole trip or try to get me to talk about what I was going through. We just hung out. Um, We did ropes courses and rode horses and laughed a lot. There was this one part of camp, though, where they asked all the dads to talk to their daughters about purity and give them a ring to symbolize their purity if they choose to. Um, it was awkward to say the least, but my dad did a great job of just asking questions about what I wanted and what I wanted my future to look like. And I told my dad, don't worry. I'm like, I'm not going to have sex. And I really did believe that I was fine with the drinking and the drugs, but I decided early on, I wasn't going to cross over the sex line. Sure. I would get, you know, as close as possible to the line, but I wouldn't break that vow. My dad liked to talk about high school, like whitewater rafting. I was in the boat, but he was guiding me and he knew where the rapids were. He had been down the river before. So he asked me to trust him when I, he told me that the party lifestyle would pay, wouldn't pay out in the end. I remember him telling me that once I hit the rapids, there would be nothing he could do to save me. And sin had its own prepackaged consequences he wouldn't be able to rescue me from. You know, I nodded along like, like a good daughter, but like most high schoolers, I thought I was smarter than my dad. So I just kept going down the path I was on. Um, I had friends, I dated the guys, and I was always invited to the parties. I didn't feel like I belonged in my family, but I found like I had found my place in this new group. And honestly, for a while it worked, but like my dad knew the rapids were coming. They hit around junior year when I started dating someone more, you know, seriously, seriously as you do in high school. And I knew he had had sex with his last girlfriend. Um, and I thought we were in love and I couldn't remember why I had made this vow to stay pure. All my friends were sleeping with guys they were dating and I didn't have any good reason not to. I didn't make like a big decision. I kind of just decided to stop saying no. It wasn't romantic or anything like the movies. Um, And afterwards, I called my three best friends crying. And they all came over and we exchanged stories of how we lost our virginity and and how painful it was to our heart. So after that, everything kind of changed. I was drinking constantly to keep sleeping with my boyfriend and to numb the very real guilt and shame I was feeling. I would often drink so much that I wouldn't remember what had happened the night before. Um, Sex didn't make my relationship any better like I thought it would. Um, It just made me feel like I had more to lose. At home, my relationships were constantly strained from all the lying. Um, My parents had caught me drinking at school functions, and I had even come home one morning still drunk and started throwing up right in front of my mom. Still, it would get worse. One night with friends, I drank too much, like I always did, and I cheated on my boyfriend. The next day, my friends had to tell me what had happened. I made the smart decision not to tell him because it was high school, so nobody would talk about it, right? Two days later, at lunch with my dad, he was telling me that he thought I had a drinking problem and that my choices were going to destroy my life. They had tried grounding me, taking away my keys, my phone, and the list went on. But as soon as the restrictions were lifted, I just went back to the same stuff. At lunch, I got the phone call from my boyfriend who already had anger issues that he found out and that he was breaking up with me. Not only that, he was going to do whatever it could to destroy my life. I came back to the table and because I really didn't have anything left to lose, I just told my dad everything. Kind of just hung his head and said, this is what I wanted to save you from. Now the rapids have come and I can't save you. Sin had handed out the consequences, and now I had to figure out how to survive them. I left lunch, called one of my best friends, and spent the afternoon at her house crying. When I got home, my parents had put a dozen red roses on my bedside table that just said, you are dearly loved. They wanted me to know when it felt like my whole world had just crumbled down. They were still there. 
they had this great vision of loving me like Jesus did at my most unlovable points. In the weeks that followed, I watched my friend group really move on without me. My ex said no one could date me. I wasn't allowed at parties and guys would yell horrible things at me as I walked down the hall. I became suicidal and on New Year's Eve, um, I was grounded and I really thought about taking the supply of sleeping pills I knew my mom had for when she traveled. My mom was really close to Jesus though um, and he would often speak to her about me. So she spent a lot of these really hard years praying for me and asking God to give her wisdom as it related to me. And that night he told her to go up and get me. She came upstairs and asked me to come join her and her friends. She invited me just to come and sit with her. And I vividly remember sitting at the dinner table with my parents and their friends and my mom just stroked my back. Their acts of love would continue to slow, slowly draw me to Jesus, but it would still take some time. The rest of high school was very dark for me. I was smoking weed most mornings before school just to cope with all that was going on. I wanted to be numb. I wanted to be able to ignore the nasty comments and hurtful things people said about me. I was drinking more and more each weekend and sadly driving too. Things got very hopeless for most of the people that loved me. I remained really close with my oldest brother and his wife, and she was really like a big sister to me at this time. She would pour truth in when I would listen and just love and love on me when I was drowning in my own mess. I managed to graduate though, somehow, and get accepted to Auburn University. Everyone told my parents they were crazy to let me go to college, that I wouldn't make it out alive. But I think my parents knew I needed a change of scenery and to get away from everybody that knew my family. I needed to start over. They were so good at asking God's guidance first and not parenting out of fear. So I left for Auburn. I joined a sorority that was known for having a good time and college started a lot like high school had been. Kind of realized though, that it was all just becoming less fun. And I was tired of being a train wreck all the time. I was in a new city with new people, but doing the same old nonsense. And it was not helping me feel any better. I decided I was just going to clean up my life a little bit. I would stop having sex and doing drugs. I was fine with the parties and the drinking, but everything else had to go. I wasn't looking for God, but he was looking for me can't help but think of the story of the lost sheep and how the shepherd leaves the 99 to get the one. This would have been the point of the story where he spotted me in the distance as I grazed so unaware that my savior was coming for me. He was coming to my rescue. I called my mom one day and told her I was going to join my sorority's Bible study with some girls I had met. I think that was the closest she's had to a heart attack. She said, Tyndall, you have to tell me to sit down before you tell me something like that. My parents started to see that the edges of my heart were softening. They capitalized on this opportunity, invited me to see my biggest brother, my big brother sing at his first passion conference. They told me it was a big deal for him and we'd go shopping and see him sing. I had really always admired my oldest brother and loved watching him sing. And this him and his wife had been so good to me that it was an easy guess. I also had no idea what a passion conference was. So I think that helped. I would come to learn it was a Christian conference for college kids, but I really just went to support my big brother. I ended up going to hear Beth Moore in a breakout session. I still don't know how my parents got me into that, but she was talking about the pit of sin. And if you've ever heard Beth Moore talk, you know, it sounds like she's just talking to you. It's just you and her in the room, but she was talking about how only God could lift you out of the, the pit of sin. And she read Psalms 40, where it said, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. I knew then and there that I was in a pit of my undoing and nothing was going to lift me out but the hand of Jesus. That night, we went to the main session to hear my brother sing and the song he was there to sing was Jesus Paid It All. It could not have been a more perfect song. The chorus says, Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. That weekend, I fully surrendered my life to Christ. Before that, I just knew him. I would even say I believed in him, but I actually gave my life to him that weekend and said, I'll do whatever you ask me. 
I knew after that weekend, my life would never look the same and it didn't, but I was returning to college and a whole slew of decisions I now had to sort through. I had to decide, was I going to truly follow Jesus and trust him? Even when I wanted to go my own way, I started just daily spending time with him, reading my Bible, journaling. I started praying for Christian friends to encourage me in my faith. It was in no way an overnight transformation. I had to figure out how to get my life to match my heart, which as a freshman in college was really hard. The guy I was dating that I went to passion with, we broke up. I took step back from the parties and honestly, there were some really lonely times. The one thing I really wrestled with God about was the drinking. Could I just not get drunk or did I have to give it up entirely? I was only 19 at the time and I felt like God was asking me to trust him when he said to let it go. The old lie crept in that God was trying to keep me from something. And I thought, I'll just keep it under control. But then one night I went out with some friends and drank so much. I didn't remember sleeping with someone. I was so ashamed. I was supposed to be living this better life. And I had fallen again. I felt God telling me, this is why I'm asking you to give it up. I'm not trying to keep you from something. It's because I have better for you. I decided to trust God, realizing I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol and I needed a hard reset before I could ever be responsible with it. While most people abandon their faith in college, mine really became my own. I changed my dating standards, but relationships with guys were always hard for me. Um, I hadn't been in a lot of healthy relationships, and I also wasn't single a lot. Um, My parents were going to Buckhead Church at the time, and one weekend when I was home, we went to Buckhead Church, and Andy Stanley was doing a series on dating. Um, He challenged anyone like me who had been in a lot of relationships to just take a year off dating. I remember praying, God, please don't ask me to do that. And of course, I instantly felt the tug at my heart. I had just gotten used to saying yes to God at this point. So I said, fine. And I committed to a year of singleness. The first six months went well, but then one night I was at a party with friends and I spotted who would become my husband. I quietly prayed God would forgive me because I knew if this man came over and talked to me, I would absolutely not tell him about my no dating pact. Ben and I met that night and went out the next week and married almost two years later. I would have never um, met him or had been ready to date him had I not taken that six months off dating. The timeline wasn't as important as getting to a place where I believed I was worth the man of my dreams, no matter what my past had looked like. And Ben had a very different story than mine. He had been faithfully waiting for his wife. Surprise, it was me. The hardest part of our relationship was when I had to tell him just what my past had looked like, that I hadn't waited on him. Uh, We had been dating for a while. Um, We knew it was headed towards marriage. And I had told him I hadn't become a Christian until college, but I had to fill him in on some of the more shameful parts of my dating history. It was one of those times I felt the full weight of all my choices. We don't just get to erase what's behind us and very rarely does sin only affect us. He was so gracious though and said something along the lines, if, if Jesus doesn't hold this against you, then who am I to? So we were married um, and moved out to Houston, Texas, where I began substitute teaching in high schools, really because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Um, and the more I was in high schools and around high schools, um, the more I realized how common my story was. I felt very passionate about kids seeing the realities of sin and not just the fake version that's on social media and in culture. I wanted them to know the pain that came with walking away from God and how deeply God really loved them. I realized there wasn't really a resource like this, though. Not a ton of books of people being honest about their journey through high school. I mean, let's be honest, most of us don't even want to look back at our high school yearbooks, much less write a whole book about it. That's when I felt like God said, write your story. I had always loved writing. It had been a huge outlet for me when I was in pain and a great way for me to connect with God. Oof, writing my whole story felt daunting and scary. I wasn't even that far past that period of my life. I was 23 at the time. Again, though, I just had enough experience of saying, okay, God. So once again, I did. I just started writing down my story. And quickly after that, I started going to counseling because 
the more I really relived those days, the more I realized it had shaped a lot of how I thought about myself and my worth. But I wrote it all down and it took a little less than a year. And I was just planning on self publishing it because um, I knew publishing a book would be incredibly challenging. And my dad was back in Atlanta at the time and he um, was working on a business book and he had hired somebody to come out and just help him kind of brainstorm on this business book. The guy, his name's Kevin, happened to be incredibly involved in the Christian book world. And my dad being the charismatic, fun guy he is, you know, they became best friends within a few hours. My dad actually said, you know, and we know my daughter's written a book already. And Kevin was like, oh, okay, well, you send it to me. And, you know, probably just being nice, but my dad did um, with my approval. And the next morning I woke up with an email from Kevin saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this book published. So popular. And a year later after that, I mean, a year and some change after that email, I signed a publishing contract with Tyndall House. Um, so popular was released when my oldest, who's now nine, almost 10, was six months old. And I had the honor of meeting so many girls who walked away from the lies of the world and into God's loving arms. Um, that didn't mean, though, that my past was erased. I learned quickly that Satan was a great reminder. He loved to remind me how unqualified I was and how embarrassing it was to talk about my past so openly. I thought it would get easier with time, but I realized that fighting the enemy is really a daily battle. I had to become very attuned with the voice of God so that I could discern when I was believing a lie. I think Satan's main goal and shame is to silence us. In James, he talks about confessing your sins to one another. And I believe that's not just for accountability, but for healing too. I think when we open up about where we have been or where we are, a lot of healing can take place. When we hold out our brokenness to other believers, it gives us a chance to help others and heal ourselves. That's why so many people's ministry ends up coming from their misery. The hard things we experience are often what breaks our hearts. I mean, I was thinking today about the Me Too movement and how powerful it was when all those women had the courage to share what they had been through, how many secrets lost their power and how much shame was overcome just simply by saying Me Too. And the power was that they weren't alone. I had uh, lunch recently with my two older brothers. My oldest brother, Christian, has an album coming out next month, and he shares more of his story in that album. And it's incredible. I'm, I'm so proud of him. But he was saying, I think Satan's goal um, is to make us believe we're all only ones who've ever struggled with something. And if he can make us believe we're all alone, he will keep us silent. But the truth is none of us get out of needing Jesus. I tell my kids that all the time. We all need Jesus. So your first step today of getting past shame may simply be telling someone. You don't have to go as public as I have, but who knows? You never know what amazing thing God has planned with your pain. I love the verse in Genesis where Joseph is talking about his brothers whose goal was to kill him. It said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The two stories I hear the most after Popular was published was one, girls with stories like mine who wanted to live differently, and two, moms who had still not dealt with their own shame of a story similar to mine. If I could just speak to the second one, it's time to move on. God is not looking at your past, so you don't need to either. You aren't unqualified to speak into your daughter's life or son's life who may be struggling with the same sins. In fact, you're even more qualified to let them know the rapids are coming. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of you overcoming the shame of your past. It could be deeper intimacy in your marriage, deeper connection with your kids. I don't know, but I can promise you God loved you enough to rescue you and then walk you safely back to the 99. He didn't rescue you just to remind you of the time you walked away. Romans says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. I'm not saying you don't need practical help and possibly professional help like I did. I'm just encouraging you to discern the voice of Jesus, which only comes by spending time with him, praying, reading his word, and asking him to speak to you. He will. I promise. Thanks for letting me share my story.
we could probably talk for days about Tyndall's story. But one of the very first things I appreciated was her perspective into a high schooler of really being popular was way more important to me than my relationship with Jesus. Yes. Tyndall's story impacted me as a parent really more than anything. When I, when I looked at some of the things that she said Mm -hmm. and picturing myself as her mom or, you know, her parent, it, it really hit me because she said, you know, it was easy to walk away from something that was never mine. You know, it's easy to walk away from something that's never yours, talking about her faith, because so many of our children, especially if you grow up in a Bible-believing church-going home, you're just, kids feel like they're inheriting their Mm -hmm. faith. That's why more kids today are walking away from church than ever, because their faith is not their own. But I think the beauty of that too, Lindy, even goes back to Grace's story last week of just that God can work all things for good. And he took those years that she walked away and is using it so powerfully in the life of probably a lot of teenage girls who have read her book, Mm -hmm. Popular. And yeah, one of the things that just that really stuck out to me was, you know, First of all, as she said at the end of her story, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what really you know, stood out was when she said, you know, God did not rescue you to remind you of what yes. you did when you walked away. Yes. You know, he rescued you for the future that he has planned for you. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but since we're in this series of shame and overcoming your past, it stays true to this, which is so often we take our high school and college days, if they didn't look perfect, and put them in a box yeah. and put them away. And when you're able to look back on that and find healing, it allows you to speak into other women's lives mm-hmm. as well as kids. Well, so it may be your children, but also think about how many of us as adults just never dealt with that part of our yeah. lives and maybe parent out of fear. Well, and and the whole theme Mm -hmm. of her story, to me, was the importance of not being silent over your shame. Speak speak it out loud and proud of what God has done and what he has rescued you from. The enemy wants us to stay silent. He wants us to think that we're alone, that nobody else feels the way we do. Nobody else has done the things we've done. And so we sit in that. We're stagnant in our spiritual walk. We're ineffective for the kingdom because we're stuck right there. And so we need to speak out. And isn't it funny that in that scenario, you're really making it about you instead of what God has done in the redemption through his blood, making you white as snow. Um, I will say again, as a parent, uh, it did remind me, I wish that I had impacted my kids more because when she talked about that, when you sin, rarely does it affect one person. But that is such a powerful lesson, just that young children know there's consequences to sin, there's consequences to behavior. Sometimes those consequences don't show up until later in your life. And thankfully, the Lord is big enough to handle all of that. So I love the reminders, but also, obviously, the redemption of the power of Christ. Well, one of the things that I think that you as a listener want to know about is how to join Patreon this month, because Robin has an incredible story within the story with Tyndall that gives you practical steps of overcoming shame. I thought it was so good, Robin. You did such a great job kind of asking her questions and and understanding, you know, where she was coming from and how she actually got to the point where she is in her spiritual walk. So if you're not a member of Patreon, go look at our show notes. You can click on the link and join today. Yeah. And 
you know, it was super easy to have that conversation because as she was talking and sharing her story, I just wanted to know more. And so the questions I ask her are probably questions that you yourself are thinking. And so it is a, um, it was a lot of fun to have that interview. And Tyndall is so open. She's so vulnerable and willing to share. And if you want to order Tyndall's book for yourself or for your kids, um, it's popular. And there's a link in our show notes and you can get it on Amazon. And we would love for you to share this with a friend. If this story spoke to you, if you know someone that needs to hear it, whether it's a high school or college age student, please share this. We would love to see it on Instagram. We would love for you to tag Storytellers Lab Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.